so if you have, so uh, Penny was very kind to uh, pass out some new, a new handout. However, I would love, 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 love to, uh, if you don't have this or if you have this, do you guys remember if you have one of these? Even if there's like one per table, it's good enough. It's the map. Do you guys have one of these maps? No. Oh, there's one right there. Could you, could you just put that in the middle just so we could look at that, at this map? Even if there's just one per table or you could look with somebody. This is not, this is not of m tremendous importance. But it is it's just fun facts that you could use in, uh, in Jeopardy or something like that. I forgot my little red prayer book, so we'll just, uh, we'll just do the Jesus prayer. So pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us sinners. Amen. I went to a fancy pastor's conference this couple of days ago in uh, fancy Lake Delavan, Wisconsin. Yeah, very much with a pool and everything. Uh, <laughs> and the guy who spoke is a really, really tremendous teacher at Huntington University. I have his name somewhere. It's not coming to mind right now. And he lectured about Paul's unknown years. What does that mean, right? So in the Bible, it talks about Saul and then his conversion, and then in Acts it talks about his ministry. And then of course we get some glimpses of his ministry in his actual letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians. But there's a period of time that we don't know what happened in his life from Scripture. So that's the period from shortly after his conversion to when he reappears in like Jerusalem. Uh, and it's about four to seven to nine years, more or less. So this guy is like, oh, well, I think we have enough little hints in Acts and in his letters to put together where he was and what he was doing. So this man's thesis, this very faithful Christian, is that, if you look at this map, Paul was hanging out around Cilicia. So if you see where Cilicia is on this map, I'm pointing to it with my finger. It, see that yellow area? Look right under it. You'll see Cilicia, and right next to it you'll see Lycia. Cilicia and Lycia, right there. You guys see where that is? You might say, what does, have, what does that have to do with this study? Well, interestingly, as this guy was talking about Cilicia and Lycia, I said, huh, we're talking about 1 Peter, and Peter sends his letters, sends this letter to all of these churches everywhere except these two places, right? They're in Anatolia. They're in modern-day Turkey, Cilicia and Lycia. So why isn't Peter also addressing these people down here? but just these people up here. So I thought that was very interesting. Why not put everybody in the same boat? Why keep these people out? Well, uh, so there's no definitive answer, but one answer that makes sense is that, well, this is Paul territory. Paul, this is where he was hanging out and evangelizing throughout all that time that we don't have a record of him. This is this guy's thesis. Paul is kicking around all of this uh, all around here 
where there are Jewish and Gentile populations who are becoming Christians all around here. The guy showed us a map of like dozens of synagogues around this area. He actually is an architect, not an architect. Thank you, an archaeologist. So he's actually digging and finding these places, dozens of churches, synagogues, meeting places, houses, towers, watchtowers. So that was his, I asked him, I went up to him later and I said, hey, you know, we're reading First Peter and Peter talked about everywhere except these two places. And, he, and it's the places that he was talking about in this whole lecture that he gave us. And so that's what he said. He said, well, this is Paul territory. Paul's the one evangelizing this place. These people are probably in contact with Paul already. So, as you see, what's, uh, what do they say in, the, in Acts? The guy's name is Saul of Tarsus. And you see where Tarsus is on this map? It's in Cilicia. Right? So there's a good chance it's that three So Tarsus is right there. Cilicia is right there. So, yeah, it's just interesting. Interesting little fact. So if you say, what did you get out of this pastor's conference that you went to? There you go. I just gave it to you. Uh, how would he know he was there? Let me go back into the recesses of everything I heard for four hours. It is. So Paul is from Tarsus. There is evidence that he went back to, to Tarsus and that he visited places Yes, right. For example, when he says, oh, I long to be with you again. Oh, I, you know, I want to see you again. So we have, you know, he himself says, I've been to these places. But, again, it's, the, it's, it, it's a theory. It's a good theory, I think, because he's filling in gaps. That's what he says. I'm just filling in gaps, and he's trying to be faithful doing that. So that's what he says this area is most likely these little churches, uh, synagogues at the time, were visited by Paul. Um, yeah, so pretty cool. So why isn't Peter writing to this bottom part? Well, because Paul was already hanging out there. Some are gray and some are yellow. Like meaning that this here is yellow? Okay, so that's yellow because that is our, those are the places that Peter sent. So first Peter Chapter 1, verse 1. Specifically for this class. That's right. I went on Google and said, uh, Peter, first Peter map. And, this would, and it's the best one I've seen, actually, where it's big. So it shows all the way from Rome, all the way down to, let's say, Alexandria, all the way to Damascus, and then, you know, Greece and Anatolia. Modern-day Turkey. Okay, so I, just, I did want to share that. I didn't want to just let that slip by. Last week, we finished off, I think it was this session two sheet that I gave to you guys. And it says session two, although last week was session three, right? We ended up talking about love and obedient children, born again, sober-minded. So if you have your Bibles open to first peter we finished up at the very end of of chapter one i'm just opening to mine here give me a second okay sorry what's the last phrase if 
you can read for me the last phrase in the last verse of chapter 1. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word that was preached to you. Anybody else have a slightly different one? The good news, the oyangelium. This is the good news that was preached to you. Period. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, tells us a lot. You've already, you, this is the good news I just told you. And you've heard it before. This is the good news that was preached to you. This is not the first time. This is not, the fir- this is not my first rodeo. It's not your first rodeo. So then he goes on. This is what I want to do today. And if we do all of it, beautiful. And if we don't, we'll have enough uh, material to keep going for next week on this sheet. I would like to do the first half of the second chapter. So, chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 12. 1 to 12 is what I would love to focus on on this handout. Um, it is, I think, one of the most beautiful parts of First Peter. First Peter is very poetic and very beautiful already, but there is so much to chew on in this uh, first half of the second chapter that we're going to talk about. So I started by saying, the second chapter begins with Peter discussing who his hearers no longer are. Then he goes on to say exactly who they are in Christ Jesus. And in doing this, he uses vivid imagery, comparisons, similes, and metaphors. And I want you to keep those antennae up when we read this to see what, why does he use all this? Why doesn't he just come straight forward and say, this is what Jesus did? Died. Buried. Rose from the dead. Saved. You. Now you look. Why does he actually use comparisons and objects? And, yeah. So I just want to keep that in mind as we read. So, chapter one. Recap. We lived in the passions of our former ignorance and walked in the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. All chapter one. But now we've been given, and we've talked about this in detail two classes ago, I think, imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance, ransomed by the blood of Christ. So we are to love. That's how he ends, in a way. Chapter one. Sincere brotherly love. Because we have been born again. And all this is the good news preached to you. You were dead, and now you're alive. And now you're alive to love. I left those lines if you want to write anything down, but I would like to continue. Apologize. This is what they tell us at the seminary. Don't throw too much Greek and Hebrew at your people. But I threw, I think, two or three words at you that I think are key to chapter 2. I could have done two or three more words in Greek, but I think they are so, so great because they are exactly what we talked about last time. I want you to remember what some people said last time regarding these first words that I put on. And if you remember, you get extra points. So chapter 2, how to live. Let's read 
verse 1, 2, and 3. Can somebody with a nice, loud mom, grandma, or teacher voice uh, read verse 1, 2, and 3 for us? Go ahead, Carol. Therefore, oh, I have Oh, you have the unauthorized translation. I'm kidding. Go ahead, but go, please. Therefore, get rid of every kind of wickedness and deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and every kind of slander. And like newborn babies, thirst for the pure milk of the word in order that it may cause you to grow so that you are saved. Surely you have tasted that the Lord is good. Somebody please read that again in another version. ESV, let's go with. Somebody has the... So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Yeah. So that's the first verb I want to look at. If indeed you tasted. That. Now that you Uh-huh. I don't like that. If indeed. Really? I love it, Jody. I love it. This is a point of contention in my head for the last six years. The if, when, or now. You get different versions. Of this, of this word. I have to do something. I don't want to. You're going to the end. Let's 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 just go with the first verb. But thank you. This is something that's actually very important to me. That what you just mentioned. But let's go with the first verb. Apotithemi. Take off. Put aside. Remove. It's on you. Cast it off. Throw it off. What are we taking up? Why doesn't he just say, what's another word that he could have just said that's much more direct? No, uh, I, my, my uh, question was bad. Instead of saying, take off or remove, instead of saying, put away all malice and deceit, don't do it. Don't be malicious. Don't be deceitful. But he doesn't use that. He uses another word. Throw off. Cast off. Lay aside. Remove. What are we taking off? Right? Interesting. He says, all malice. Pontus. All malice. All deceit and hypocrisy and envy. And all slander. What could he just said? What could he have just said? Evil. No, he could have just taken away the word all, right? Why does he keep saying all? Just put away malice. Stop being malicious. But he keeps hitting us with that word all. Don't put away just some. Put away all. Again, he's using language here for us. He's using beauty in the way that he's writing. He's just not simply saying, stop being bad. Put away evil. Put away all evil. And he says it three times. Ba, ba, ba. Yeah? Well, maybe other people aren't, don't think like I do, but if you just say, 
put away slander. Well, this really isn't. I love that. Categorizing sin. That's one of our favorite things to do. Yeah. But he said, put away all of them. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what is it? Clean your room? <laughs> I like that. Clean your room. Yeah. You guys hear uh, Carol Hosen? Uh, clean your room. It's like, yeah, yeah, I made my bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Clean your room. Clean all of your room. Yeah, please, Rachel. Oh, I hope it's an example about your kids and about room cleaning. No. I'm trying to not but does he use that word because it is, if you were to say don't, that would be like inaction. But if he's using the word to take off his actual action that you're taking, that's why I love it. I love it. I love it. I don't know, but I hope so. Yeah, honestly, it's it's not right. Don't is just it makes you just do this, where it's no no no. There's stuff on you that you need to get rid of. So take off. It's like you are not blameless. Like don't even, it's like you are not blameless. You are not blameless. Yeah. Somebody said. Instead of holding yourself accountable. Accountable. Man, that's why I want to be in this club. That's why I like Fridays. So, like, honestly, there's just so much beauty and great stuff they got. Yeah, accountability is what Amy said. Yeah, Amy, right? Right, accountability. But, so then, I want to jump from that verb that Peter uses to take off to the next verb, be, to be, enduo, which is not in this letter, but it's a verb that we mentioned last week. So if we are to throw off, to put off, to take off, what's the opposite of that? To put on. And man, do we know that verb, especially here, right? Pastor Bruzek uses that a lot of times in his catechumenate. To put on Christ. What's another type of put on in, uh, in the New Testament that Paul uses? Put on the full armor of God. Yeah. So we have all of this put on language, too. This is what you put off. This is what you put on. This is what you remove. And this is what, how you dress. What's another uh, dress imagery in the New Testament? Robe of righteousness. Oh, it's coming in heavy. Robe of righteousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Jesus' parable I'm thinking of. You can only come into the party if you have... The wedding garments, right? Put on the wedding That's right. Given to you. Here it is. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. This is great. See how this, it all comes together. It all comes together. Uh, put off and put on. I put three references here. I put Romans. Romans is put on Christ. Ephesians is put on the armor of God, I believe. But Colossians... I just wanted us to look at that just for fun, very quickly, to see what Paul is telling us to put on exactly. It slipped my mind. 3.10, put to death uh, earthly things, put on the new self. Right, 3.10, put on then as God chosen ones, holy, compassionate heart, patient, bearing one another. So there's that uh, language too. Did anybody say something? I'm sorry. Look at verse 9. It's beautiful. Don't lie to one another. 
put off the old self, put on the new self. The old has passed away and the new has come. Right? So I just wanted us to think about those two verbs. Put off, put on. Peter's telling us to put off all of this stuff because something new has been put on us. The wedding garment, the robe of righteousness, Christ, the full armor of God. It's beautiful. What are we putting on? We just talked about it. Yeah. Um, you like that imagery of putting on and putting off? I've heard somebody saying to us, to me once, that the gospel is like a beautiful coat being given to you as a gift. You need a coat. It's the winter. Winter's coming. Uh, and somebody says, here's a beautiful coat that you're going to need. What are two things that you can do with it? Wear it or give it away. Store it. Put it in a closet. You still have it. It was still given to you. Whether you wear it or not, you can put on. It's going to be cold. Put it on. It's been given to you. That's been done. I'm just going to hang it in my closet. I don't need it. Um, happens a lot, right? Um, but it's this put on. Put on. Put on. I love it. Our supreme treasure. We should wear it like it's our supreme treasure. It's the best thing we have. Our supreme treasure. Marilyn said. Yeah. So, uh, my next question is, what does the Christian life look like when we have taken off the old moldy clothes of the world and put on Christ? Milena and I know what old moldy clothes is. We, uh, I don't want to tell too much of a personal story, but let's just say that I stored some clothes in uh, St. Louis in a nice damp basement over a period of time. And, uh, and the Sunday of Milena and my first service here, I wasn't ordained yet, just a few weeks ago, I went to open this bag. I was like, Something like the zipper wouldn't open because it was already like rusty. I was like, like, my favorite bag and my best pants were in there. And then, so I know what is mold. So I actually wrote moldy clothes because you don't want to have this on. Like, ooh, it was it was disgusting. Um, so to take that off, to say no, 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 don't wear that anymore. Here's some good stuff. Here's a brand new coat. Here's a perfect coat. I like that's. I lived that kind of in my you know having this moldy clothes. And then here's what you can put on. Put on this. How do we think, speak, and act? What do we desire? Can we use that term, desire? What does desire look like in a Christian life? If we are not to have malice, deceit, envy, slander, then we must desire other things. Because some of us desire slander. Some of us desire deceit. Some of us desire malice. That's what Peter's saying. Put that off. You have to desire other things. And with that new coat comes different desires. I'm using that word 
on purpose because Peter's going to use that word. If we kept reading, right? Like newborn infants. Like newborn babies. Desire. That's the other word I put. Epipotheo. Yearn. Strongly desire. With the implication that it's needed. I need this milk. I love Let's talk. Yeah, we're going to get to that word specifically and what that means. Long for the pure spiritual milk. Verse 2 and verse 3 can be completely removed in the way of teaching doctrine. He already said it. He already said it in plain words. We don't need this image anymore, but that's not good enough. Peter, through the Holy Spirit, is like the best we can teach our readers and our listeners. We will. So now he adds this beautiful image comparing us to babies. What can babies not do? Feed themselves. All they can do is desire to be fed. Right? They have crying babies or, or fussy babies a lot of times with this desire to be fed. And that's exactly how Peter describes us like newborn infants. Desire, yearn for, crave this pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up to salvation. We have here on point 2C2 1 spiritual. I want to talk about this word very quickly. And what does he mean by the word spiritual? Let's say, what do you think he means by the word spiritual? And you might be wrong or you might be right. But I will tell you this. The word in verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 5. Just jumping ahead a little bit because what words do you see in verse 5? Spiritual. In Greek, that verse 5 spiritual is different than this spiritual. One uses one word, the other one uses another one. So, I just want us to think about what this spiritual could mean. What are two, there are basically two possibilities. Give me one of them. Say again. The gospel. What do you mean by that? Okay, so now put what you just said to the word milk. What does what you have to say? What you just said have to do with milk? Long for salvation. Long for the gospel. Yearn for this. Okay. 
So you guys are equating spiritual to, if I dare say, like Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit who gives you life through baptism, right? Would you agree with me on that? I've led you astray. Most likely this is not what he was saying. He's not really talking about spiritual milk as in like Holy Spirit milk. Like yearn for the Holy Spirit milk. In a way, it, I mean, it could be that, but there's a better chance that he, it's much plainer than that. What's the opposite of spiritual milk? Physical milk. All he's saying is, yearn for this milk that is much more than, like, real milk. Sorry, much more than, like, white milk, is what I'm saying, like, from an animal or from a woman. He's not saying that. That's what he's not saying. That's what all this means, spiritual milk in this sense, is just, there's something more. It's not just what you can see. It doesn't really have to do with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't really have to go with the Gospel, although we could read it that way. But I just noticed when I was going over the Greek, I was like, huh, this is interesting. This word is not the same as a couple later, words later. But it's translated in English the same. So this just means not physical. Yearn for the milk that is not physical, but the one that's spiritual. Because then later, the other one is going to be like the word for Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit house, spiritual house. Um, so I just thought that this was interesting. Yearn for a milk that is not the physical milk, but the one that is pure, so that you may grow up to salvation. So in point two A, so I said the spiritual, not earthly, Pure, genuine milk that will make you grow up. Grow up. I think this is a really important point that he's making. A lot of times, and this doesn't apply to anybody in this room or in this church, we think... I've gone to church all of my life. I've been through catechism. I've been in a church for 70 years. My parents were baptized here. My grandparents were members here. My grandfather helped build this church. We think that we've all grown up. Of course, I grew up in the church, right? Is this what Peter's talking about? In this Grow up. Grow up in your faith. What's another word for grow up in your faith? Right. I think this is what he's talking about. He's not talking about just know a bunch of stuff. Just read a lot. Just have a bunch of experience, not, you know, just do a lot. That's not what he's saying. It's more than that. Mature in body and mind. When storms come, you're not blown away. When the wave comes and you're walking upon the waters, you won't sink down. Like our good friend, Peter himself. Right? There's this maturity that comes to, um, through 
drinking spiritual milk, which is very interesting because he's just compared us to who are not mature, right? Newborn babies. So if you really think about what he's doing with these words, it's just beautiful. You're a baby, you're longing for spiritual milk, so this can happen to you. But then you're going to grow up and become an adult and not going to need the milk anymore. You go back to that verse, to the beginning of it, as newborn infants. Right? There's this constant flow. It's not just, I'm in the all set club now. I've gone through confirmation. Now I need anything more. Or I have the same type of faith I had when I was in seventh grade. Or had the same, I react to things in my life the same way I reacted when I was 20 or 15. Right? This is what he's talking about. It's knowing that you can't help, that you cannot help yourself like a newborn infant. Desiring, craving for this spiritual milk so you can grow up, mature into salvation. Your salvation's given to you. Now grow up in it, right? As a lot of people say here, salvation is step one. It's not like step 15. You've been saved. Now grow up drinking that pure spiritual milk. Now, Jody, is where we might get into a fist fight. <laughs> you guys keep me back. <laughs> I know who would win. <laughs> I don't want to tell you how much I weigh, but uh, I'm a small guy. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let me do my thing, and then I want to see if you guys see if it holds any water. I love, 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 love what he's saying here. Is this maybe another uh, verse that I put? Oh, I see. Okay, so uh, two... C, two, two. Paul uses the word, just going back to the word desire again, uh, this is just fun. Paul uses this same word when he's talking about how much he misses his recipients of his letters. Oh, I miss you so much. I wish to see you. Oh, it was so great when I was there. I'm crying that I'm not with you. He uses that same word that Peter uses when he's talking about the spiritual milk. Same, same. Right? That desire you have to see somebody we haven't seen for such a long time that it's just more than a friend or an acquaintance, but somebody with deep love. Same word, same feeling. So, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's start with the easy part. The easy part is the word good that uh, Peter uses. That also means benevolent, loving, kind, reputable. If you indeed have tasted that the Lord is this, the Lord is loving, the Lord is kind, the Lord is reputable. So if you from start from the end of the sentence, this is what he is, objectively. And how do you know? Just read chapter 1. This is how you know that he's good. Look at all the things that he's done to you, for you. Now, he comes to this very, apparently controversial, phrase seek him desire for him so now i put these questions 
Have you seen this from the Lord? Have you seen that He's good? Then, why don't you desire the spiritual milk as you should? That's how I read this sentence. That's how I read this little blurb. If you know, if you have really tasted, he uses the word like to actually taste. Why is he, why is he using that word? Like to put something in your mouth and feel the taste? Why does he say that? Instead of just saying, you know the Lord is good? If you really know the Lord is good? Why is he using the word taste? He's talking about milk. Right? He's just not talking about the Lord's goodness. He's actually equating it to spiritual milk. If you desire... Start over. Desire for this milk, which makes you grow, if you actually have tasted that the Lord is good. But isn't that a gift from Him to us? What? The, the spiritual milk is from Him to us. Right. So what's it? Yeah, let, let me start there. What's your objection? If it's a gift from Him to us, then we naturally would have tasted. And He would say, now that you've tasted, you know, that the Lord is good. I see this as a challenge. Let me put the word challenge out there. If we had actually done this, if we actually tasted this, then naturally we're going to go over here and desire. Because now we know where our nourishment comes from. Now we know. So I see this if as a poke from Peter. If you... If you had actually done your homework, if you had actually studied, if you had actually, if you, if you actually said that you went there, if you actually, yes? Is Peter remembering back to his time with Jesus when he really didn't trust out there on the water? Or when he said, no, you're not going to Jerusalem and 
Christ turned around and said, get behind me, Satan. Is Peter thinking back about how he had to grow, and yet we know he preached that beautiful sermon on Pentecost yeah. after all of the other things. Peter has more negative experiences yeah. with than, I mean, just read the Gospel of John. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he, like what you said, this is not a Peter autobiography, right? Like we said in the first class, we're not going to read First Peter being like, oh, it doesn't say where, you know, he denied. Why doesn't he talk about him denying him? You know, it's not about him. This letter is about Jesus. But, yeah, right. In this guy who never, who gave him all he needed, spiritual milk. Now, if you actually tasted that's good, you'd go back. Um, I've thought about this a lot, and in my head, I can say it perfectly. But then when it's time to actually say it, I sort of get mumbled up. I think that I look at different people who I've known over the years who have been churchgoers have been churchgoers, were churchgoers, are on and off churchgoers. And they say, I love Jesus. He's great when I need him. You know, so it's this person who says, yeah, the Lord's good. Well, then if he's good and you've tasted that, why aren't you constantly like a newborn infant desiring... This is how I read this. It's, I read this as somebody who is wavering. Not wavering because of the waves of life, but everything's going fine. So, well, I don't need the church. I know Jesus. I've tasted it. And I don't disagree that, I, that Jesus, you know, I love Jesus. He's great. But life is great, too, and my choices are great, too. So I think Peter is almost poking at that, I like to think. Here's the spiritual milk. It's beautiful. Desire it. If you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. He's pushing us back. He's pushing us back. Again, I still think that this is a round and round verse, too. If we, desire, if we know that the Lord is good, then we'll desire for his spiritual milk. Wow, that spiritual milk tastes really good. I want more. I'm going to keep coming to the desire. Ooh, I'm going to have some of the spiritual milk. I still think this is a round and round thing. If you actually think the Lord is good, you're going to keep coming back to his body and blood. You're going to keep coming back to his word. You're going to keep coming back to his community of saints, because you know that he's good. It tastes better than anything out there, this milk that he's giving us. What do you think? That made more sense. That made more sense than you just said. Okay. I think maybe this time around I was able to say it better than I've said it ever. No, and I, you, you pushed me. No, 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 no. I think this was helpful. Because that word is translated differently. The if. Right? What are the other translations? 
now that you have tasted that the Lord is good? It's, it's not questioning if, it's how you read it first. Because you have tasted. Anybody else have uh, instead of now or if in their Bibles? Yeah. Do you have a Portuguese Bible there? What does yours say, Mila? If. If, right. See. That's right. Almost because is actually a good word. Because you have tasted. Because you want to have more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the ESV will not translate, for example, because, because ESV is a more literal translation. So I think they would think that, I think they would agree with the idea of a because, but because that word in Greek doesn't actually, you know, officially translate to because, they'll start, they'll stick with if or something like that. Yeah, so the idea is good. All right, we have a little bit of time. I would like to just jump to the next thing he says. And we might not finish it, but I think it's beautiful. So you're a baby, and you need milk. It's a beautiful image. It's an image that has not changed for thousands of years. Right? There are some images in Scripture that Jesus uses that we have a little bit more of a difficult time imagining. Like the wedding garment, right? It's something that was very, very popular. Not so much today, right? 2,000 years later. So we have to do some research on even the planting stuff. If you live in a city and your parents grew up in the city and your grandparents grew up in the city, when Jesus is talking about sowing and reaping and the chaff and the wheat, sometimes we have a difficult time. Hmm, what does that mean? Or goats and sheep. Thank you. Uh, when he talks about newborn infants, everybody's familiar with that. doesn't matter if it was 2,000 years ago. doesn't matter if it's today. Everybody know what a newborn infant is? A crying newborn infant? A desiring newborn infant? A one who's longing for something? So this is the image that he just gave us. Spiritual milk. If you have tasted. Who are we now in the next verse? Stones. Right? It's beautiful. He goes from kid babies to rocks. Like with one verse. Now you're no longer babies. You're this stone. But he doesn't say we are the stones right away. Who does he say is the stone? Jesus. Not just any stone, but a breathing and living and active and a, a working and the one who's actually doing stuff stone rejected by men in the sight of god chosen and precious how do we know that jesus is a stone give us uh, anybody remember stone imagery from uh oh yeah Corner stone. Capstone. Capstone. That's right. He'll get some stone uh, right after that. Second, a rejected cornerstone. That's right. Living. I love that. I love that he uses the word living because he keeps the same idea as okay. Here's a baby. Here's living. Here's a rock, and that's living. So he doesn't compare like a brand new life 
to something that's old and dead, right? Because stones, they've been around for a long time. They outlast us. But there's one thing that keeps us the same, and that's living. That's life. As you come after Him, as you come to Him, what is He assuming? The word as? That you are coming. If you take the word as out, how do you read it? It's an order. That's right. An imperative. Come to Him. Is that what Peter's saying? No. Peter's assuming that you're already coming to Him. Right? It's the whole thing with Jesus as you pray, as you fast, as you give to the, uh, the, the poor. You're already doing it. So here's Peter saying, as you come to him, you're already coming to him. You're actively coming to him. The same thing with the if. Right? I think this first verse, that we're, this as, and the last one we were just quarreling about. I'm just joking. The, the if, they go along perfectly. As you come to him. This living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like a living stone, are being living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy, priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Period. Stones can't build themselves into something. They have to be built. Like, I've it's, never noticed. It's, say exactly what it says. Stones are being built into a spiritual house. As you come, as you draw near to God, He is using you to build something. You're not the one building it. You are just drawing near so that He can use you in His building of His house. So still like rocks. We can do a whole lecture on vocation just on that verse. I'm going to join St. John because I know exactly how I want my gifts used in this church. I'm this living stone and I'm good at all these things and all these things are exactly what I'm going to do in this church. Well, I don't know. You know, you're coming at, you're coming in active. And it's not. It is passive. Are being built. You're a living stone. You've been made a living stone. Now you are going to be built as God intends it, maybe not as you intend it. What kind of stones are we? This is D2 on the second page. For what purpose? Peter, the rock man, talking about others being stones. I think this is very interesting, right? Because we know Peter's confession. You are the... You are Peter. And on this rock. Different word. Petros. Lithon. But the idea is there. Because one is rock, and the other one is stone. We have words in English that are different. So Peter the rock is Peter Petrus. The stones who we are are the lithon. So, but, the, but the same idea is there. So to close up, um, I would like us to keep 
that in mind. What does a spiritual house look like? And I wrote fruit of the spirit for us to think about that because now it is spiritual house. Now he is using the word with the base, the, the, the root word of the spiritual is pneuma, spirit. So what does a... Uh, like godly? Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, that's exactly where I'm going. Yeah, unlike the milk, which he's just saying, it's more than just physical milk, it's a pure milk. Here, on the other hand, he is saying a godly house, a Holy Spirit house. So what does that actually look like? Because he's giving us this... Is there anywhere in scripture where we could talk about, well, what does spiritual mean? What does a spiritual house look like? We could easily say, oh, it looks like something in the sky. It's spiritual. We can't see it. Right? We could get, we can have an easy, uh, what is it called? Uh, an easy, we can make an excuse. Oh, he's not actually talking about a physical house because I'm not a stone. Neither is Jesus. So the spiritual house he's talking about can't be actually physical. It's all in here. But if we keep reading and uh, thinking about other places in Scripture where it talks about spirit, well, what are the fruits of the spirit? Are those pie in the sky or are those very physical things? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those sound pretty physical to me. And if I had a house and it was built on that, that would be a pretty happy house, I think. A joyful house. So how about a house made of that? I don't want to keep going because we're over time. But any comments on this? We hit a few points in the first quarter of chapter 2. The next part, uh, if you come back next week, is perhaps one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Now that you're all of this and you're a beautiful spiritual house... Proclaim the excellencies of Him. That's what's up next. And I love that. I really want to talk uh, about this together. Questions at all? I'll see you next week. Let's pray and let's go. So Lord, remember us in Your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. See you next time.